Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. You know, on the show... We talk a lot about what's going wrong with housing in our city, in our state. So today on CityCast Portland, we're like, why don't we talk to someone who's working on fixing things? Andrea Bell is the executive director of Oregon Housing and Community Services. Now, they're the state agency in charge of funding affordable housing projects for Oregon. Andrea is here to tell us how a $200 million housing package that was passed earlier this year by the legislature actually turns into homes. And if we're still on track to meeting Governor Kotek's ambitious yearly goal of building 36,000 housing units. It's Thursday, September 28th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. So I know that Governor Kotek's ambitious housing goal is really just focusing on uh, like, let's get more housing. Let's just do this. And your agency is involved in, in coordinating the funding to get a lot of that affordable housing, you know, built. What needs to happen to go from like setting a mandate to, you know, actually having houses people can move into? So the good thing is we have a big piece of that first step that is already underway, which is we have resources. We actually mm-hmm. have more money than uh, than we've ever had in history to build more affordable housing. I think the next piece of it is to really figure out what are the conditions and circumstances that have helped us build uh, as much housing as we have in the last few years. Uh, for example, we have the Housing Production Advisory Council now. So if you can think about, uh, Claudia, if you can think about a number of folks all engaged in housing from building codes to land use uh, to financing uh, folks working in housing authorities and all parts of the state really laying out clearly uh, uh, what is going to be needed to not only uh, get that money out the door, but to actually build more affordable housing in a way that's quicker and more efficient. And so that's actively what that body is engaged in right now. Gotcha. What are your biggest challenges? Now, you could spill the tea. I understand, you know, (laughs) politically, you're savvy, you're not going to. But I would love just to know, I mean, if you could just give us what you have to deal with. Yeah. Well, I think when I reflect on that question, as I think about it, it often takes me back to the experiences that I've had when I was an outreach worker or a service provider and someone from the state agency would come in and talk to us about something. And as when I go back to that memory, what I think about is the experience of how out of touch that dialogue, that discourse, their description of reality was with my own reality or the reality of folks doing the work every single day. And so I think one of the kind of challenges and opportunities that we have is to ensure that the decisions that we make are reflective of 
those that are solutions in community. So what that means, just to be really blunt around it, is making sure that we have shared power in decision-making tables. It cannot be us alone doing that. And I think historically, as a government agency, that hasn't always been sort of the form and function of how we've worked. We've gotten resources, we sort of devise the plan, we then execute the plan. Mm -hmm. And what we're now envisioning is something actually quite different. It is something uh, that requires uh, us to be actually in community, asking questions, and dare I say, actually listening to people and being responsive uh, to that. Um, And then I would say another one in terms of challenge uh, that's just in front of us is there is an urgency to what we're talking about. There is not a day that goes by that, you know, I don't directly hear from someone that is struggling to get by and that needs an answer. Like in a year, they need an answer right now. Yeah. I used to work in state and city government in Mm -hmm. like a former life. And so I would explain to people sometimes how by the time it gets to a government decision, years have passed or the data is like a few years old. Right. And so that is like the slowness of that. So how are you staying quick on your feet? Like, how are you able to get past all that red tape? So I think um, it sort of exists in a couple of different dimensions. I think one is making sure that we are actively, not reactively, but actively engaging with community to understand. What what do you mean by that? Because I, yeah. I I know you just said that, but I mean, like, what is the lo- what are the logistics of that? Yeah, yeah. So over the last couple of years, we have really diversified where our money goes, and so gotcha. what that means is we have more money going to community-based organizations, folks in the ground doing the work every single day, day in and day out, the folks that know communities the best uh, and hear from communities directly in a way that we just don't always being able to. Um, be in direct relationship with them in a constant basis. I think another piece of it too, again, which is, uh, this is a newer way of being is um, before making decisions, actually having tables for conversations to lay out very clearly, this is what we're trying to do. This is the intended outcome. Give us feedback on it before we make a decision. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, any decision that we make at the state, even when it's best intended, is going to impact community. And we hope that is a positive impact. But by building that sort of coalition and having that proactivity and building that together gets us so much further. Right. Well, do you feel like you've had successes following this model? Like what, what wins is your agency celebrating right now? Yeah. So I I would say that rather than thinking about it as a model, the way that I and we seek to approach it is as a government agency, this is what we should have always been. This is us Mm -hmm. growing into what government is intended to be, which is government for the people and by the people. And we can't effectively do that if we're not engaging with the people and the folks doing the work in that. Uh, Back in 2019, we said very clearly we wanted to triple the amount of affordable housing uh, units, for example, in rural Oregon. So that meant 2,500 units. Today, collectively, we've built over 4,000 units in rural Oregon. We also said across the state that we wanted to triple the supply of affordable housing. So that meant creating 25,000 units of affordable housing by 2024. Now, keep in mind, this is taking into account that we had the pandemic. To date, we've created 26,000 units of affordable housing. So I lay all of those things out Uh, For one, just consciousness that we've made progress and 
for the people of Oregon who have made their needs clear, that cannot be the pinnacle of our success. That cannot be the height of progress. And that's the work that's in front of us right now. Well, now that Governor Kotek has pushed uh, that number up to 36,000 each year, like how is your agency figuring out how to help meet it? Um, so first and foremost, when we think about what's, what's it going to take to build 36,000 units of affordable housing, one, it means growing and expanding as an agency in terms of the workforce, growing more folks. Uh, an important piece of that as well is also making sure that as we're growing as an agency, growing responsibly. And that often means making sure that we can, you know, build in expertise and folks that have been in community to really help inform what that pathway forward is going to look like. And then I think the other piece of this too, and this goes into your earlier question, business can't be the same as usual in order to meet new endeavors. 36,000 in front of us um, is certainly an audacious task and it's exactly what we should be pursuing. And for us as an agency, it is really gearing up to think about where do we need to do some things uh, substantively different. So one of those things is uh, we have a, you know, our funding processes by which we get funds out the door. In order to meet new goals, we're going to have to shift and do things different. And then I think the other piece of it is being able to ask and respond responsibly to uh, what communities named needs are to be able to facilitate those goals locally. So we have to be able to be responsive. The community is saying, why is something you know, 45 pages long. Why do we need to increase all, you know, why do we need so many documents for this? Those just paperwork things, those things that often manifest as just administrative burden, we have to be able to do some things different to be responsive to that. We can't move forward with a new uh, and appropri appropriately bold task and continue to do the same things. Right. Okay, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we return, let's talk about the biggest challenges your agency has come across. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. What have you found logistically to be the most difficult in trying to surpass your goals? Like, is it land? Is it the you know the budgets or the communication with the you know with 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 the yeah. communities? Uh, is it materials? I always assumed when we saw this number, I was like, where are they going to get all this material? I can't even order windows in time, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think there's some uh, correlating things that we've heard from folks. So one, of course, is we need resources, we need more money. And I think coming out with a billion resources is a really good way to, to start in that. Uh, I think what we've heard in that is certainly there's uh, some opportunities we have in front of us in terms of land use. I think that's mm -hmm. one of the emerging themes. Uh, certainly permitting, while that's not within the agency's purview, permitting has been a topic of uh, top discussion for, for folks. Uh, I think a third thing that has come up on the financial strategy point is uh, where can we create a more flexibility for different funding sources to be used? So if you can imagine 15 different financing sources that are mm -hmm. available to you for development. Can you imagine just the complexity that it goes into? Now, keep in mind, these are state and federal resources. 
All the applications, all the right. applications, all right. the all the red tape, all the going back and forth to get all that stuff set up. That's so that's a lot. That's a lot. That's right. That is, that is right. So if you can imagine the work that it takes for a lot of our partners to be able to line all of those things up uh, just perfectly enough to be able to get a development going and, you know, have dirt shoveled and developments built. They sometimes may not feel like the most exciting things, but if you're the person on the receiving end trying to make a bunch of funding resources come together, uh, those are the things that we hope people can feel and see and then be able to see more development happen, you know, uh, more more quickly. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's not sexy, but... You know, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> but no, but- <laughs> it, depends on, it depends on who you ask, but ultimately... Um, it is though it, it is oftentimes those administrative things that can sometimes be the make it or break it or make someone just say, oh, just forget it. Uh, government has to be uh, show that it is agile, show that it cannot be a dinosaur to things. And mm-hmm. this is for our, our agency. And so I think this is a big piece of the agility and the test of agility that's uh, that's in front of us. I feel like we're we're talking very large, you know statewide issues. And I know because you are a state employee, um, but if we're, if we were to bring it down to Portland and just mm-hmm. the city and when people see homelessness and they see, you know, their neighbors struggling and they don't, you know, they're just like, what is the state doing? Like you can see it all in a weird way because you're kind of giving money to all these different places. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them from your vantage point? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost that central to that interest, central to that care or that concern and the observations that people have seen in their communities, it comes with a recognition and an understanding that the supply and demand issue around affordable housing has certainly precipitated the experience of homelessness. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important piece. So when we talk about housing instability and someone losing their housing, that's not just a cause of an experience of homelessness. There is a rippling effect that happens to that individual, to that family, but also to that community as well. And so I think folks certainly are seeing and reacting, uh, reacting to that. Um, I would say the second piece of this is, in spite of that reality, there has been more affordable housing uh, in Portland, in Multnomah County, there has been a historic scale of resources going towards solutions than probably ever before. So just to be uh, really tactical about it, it is important that uh, when we engage in work that is uh, in service to those outcomes, we also want to have a really good understanding of the landscape of what's working now and what's not working. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't want to continue to invest in a particular way of doing business if it doesn't work. You know, Final question. Sure. Like, what can't you do? Like, what things do you need help with, either from the business side of stuff or the state, you know, local uh, governments, you know, city? Yeah. As I think about what our journey has been thus far and really what we're trying to do is because at the end of the day, when we look back, when I look back to these years, I think. What's important to me is to make sure that we are setting the state from a housing perspective, setting the state up to be better off than what we have in the past. At the end of the day, that is what we're trying. That is what we're trying to do. Um, and I think for me, really, the the help 
the support, um, and we're a little bit like a broken record here, is um, making sure that we're doing our part um, to hear from folks. And so that folks also know that it is okay to give the state constructive feedback. How would someone go about doing that? Yeah, well, uh, over the last couple of years, actually, as of, as of now, we have uh, increased our capacity to actually have a team of folks that focus on community engaging. And a big part of their work is to actively be in community uh, and to make ourselves uh, visible to um, not only just to say that the state showed up to something, but to also just hear what's happening in community. What are the conversations and what are top of mind for, for folks? And so I think our encouragement is uh, when we have the opportunity to engage in, in community, we want to be able to uh, hear that feedback. And I will say um, there's been no shortage of it, which is great. I think people are very clear about what they need and what they want to see from, from us. And so I think our job is to continue to, to keep our, our eyes and ears open to community in a way that's authentic. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go ahead and just uh, uh, put your personal email into the show notes and people can Thank just... Thank you for that, Claudia. <laughs> just... I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. It's a great time for my audio to go out. <laughs> awesome. Well... Andrea, thank you so much for taking the time and, and kind of breaking some of these larger ideas down for us. Yeah, of course. And I, we wouldn't have it anyway. I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think at the end of the day, uh, our work should always reflect the people. And anytime we're out of sync of that, uh, then we expect community to hold us accountable to that. And now for your microdose of news. Here are some events that are coming up. Sure, you can go to any number of Oktoberfests happening over the next month, but tonight is the only one where you can party with your dog. Yeah, from 4 to 7 p.m., Hopworks Urban Brewery on Southeast Powell Boulevard will be hosting Dogtoberfest. There will, of course, be beer and food for humans, but also special treats, gifts, and alcohol-free beer for dogs. Now, this is a benefit for Portland Animal Welfare, a nonprofit providing free veterinary care and pet supplies for people experiencing homelessness, or extreme poverty. And if you missed out on Land Sioux's Gardens Moonlight Market earlier this month, you can catch another Mid-Autumn Moon Festival this Saturday from 3 to 10 p.m. at the Shun Fan Supermarket on the corner of Southeast Foster and 82nd. You're invited to celebrate a significant culture event observed by many Asian communities around the world with mooncakes, lantern processions, moon gazing, as well as dance and musical performances. Plus, catch the last few shows of the Doug Fir before it closes at its current Burnside location. Ural Thomas and the Pain will be playing two shows on Saturday, and tickets for the earlier 5 p.m. show might still be available if you get them now. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>